gold has been this store of value, this perfect store of value for 5,000 years. Why? Well, custom, right? Custom and belief. For whatever reason, we picked gold as opposed to platinum or, I mean, silver a little bit as well. But, but ultimately, it's, it's scarce. It's, it's not easily created, right? You can't, you know, people have been trying for years to be alchemists and, and created out of lead or something like that, but you can't. And it's, it's got some elemental properties and in, in being a metal that, that uh, make it unique. But bottom line, custom and belief. So, so gold has been money. And the base layer of global finance is money. So the base layer of central banks around the world has been gold. Now, it used to be all gold, right? I mean, or silver. But, you know, a pound note used to get you a pound of sterling silver. And gold, it used to turn in your, your, your paper money. You got gold back, right? There were gold certificates or silver certificates. That all went away uh, over the last couple centuries and we went off the gold standard to a fiat standard. And a fiat standard just means government can create money whenever they want at the flick of a switch and now push of a button. You used to have to print the money. Now they just push a button. So that's a long-winded way, Abs is saying, that, that gold as money is the base layer. On top of that, central banks issue currency that then we use in different forms. Like like I don't use currency, you know, I use this, this plastic, right? I use this little piece of plastic and, but that's not money, right? That is actually just a ledger. It's actually a COBOL ledger on a mainframe at, at Visa. And once a month they settle up to the bank where I keep my money. By the way, I learned the other day that it, it's not my money. I mean, I've, I've known this, but I went to transfer, actually I had my wife transfer some money to an investment we're making. And like, you can't do that. Like, what do you mean? Like, well, you can't transfer that much money. Like, why? You know, well, you have to, you have to break it up into, into pieces. Like, what are you talking about? It, it's my money. It's been in your bank. Anyway, my, my head wanted to explode, but the, I, so I digress. So back to, to money. So gold is the monetary base layer. Then you've got Fedwire that creates the, the notes or the ones and zeros. Then you've got the, the, the bank system itself uh, in, in things like SWIFT and, and the like. And, and then you've got the currency, right? The actual you know, paper currencies are the ones and zeros. So what did central banks do over the years? Well, they diversified away from pure gold to add other paper. Right. I mean, you think about it in our Federal Reserve, we have gold, but then we have euros and yen. Well, wait, those are just Ponzi's of paper that are all interrelated. And so where's the value? Where's where's the underlying base layer of value? Well, if you look at the smart countries and people would get mad at me for saying that, but you look at places like China and Russia, what are they doing? They're waving the gold in. Right? They're trying to back their currencies with gold. Well, where's Bitcoin fit in all this? Well, Bitcoin is digital gold. Right? It just is. Now, why is it? Well, because it became that through custom and belief. Now, it's only been 14 years. So, you, well, how do we know for sure? Well, 
it's equally scarce when you look at the stock to flow ratio and not the stock to flow model for price, but just the stock to flow, the amount of new Bitcoin that's created every year versus the existing stock. That is roughly the same scarcity as gold. And gold is tough, right? If I had a bar of gold here and I wanted to break it into four pieces to send you all a piece, I couldn't do that. I mean, I think I'm a strong guy, but I'm not that strong. I couldn't break a bar of gold. And even if I could, right, if, even if I were gonzo and I could break it, um, I couldn't stuff it in the computer to send it to you, Johnny. I mean, it, it just wouldn't go in the computer. But with a couple punches of a button, I could send you all Bitcoin, like instantaneously. And it's more portable. It's more divisible. So it has all the benefits of gold plus the added benefit of being more portable and more divisible. So I believe that over time, central banks will say, huh, it has the same store of value property as gold. It's lighter weight. And look, I'm just stealing this from Hal Finney. Right? Mark, Hal- the, if I could just ask a quick question. We had some technical difficulties in the beginning, guys. So sorry for the late live stream. We are live now. We got 232 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Mark Yusko is breaking down the, everything that we should know about Bitcoin. And one of the things that sticks out to me about the stock to flow chart, Mark, is the divergence that's taken place since 2022. Is this something you consider an opportunity for people like us? Or is it reason for concern that Bitcoin now may be going into a different cycle? You know, look, the stock to flow model, and, and I'm, I'm a fan of, of uh, at, um, oh, now I forgot his handle. Plan B. Plan, plan B. B. I mean, plan B. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's 100 trillion. Yeah, 100 trillion. Um, at 100 trillion. I mean, I'm a fan of, of, of his work, and I'm a fan of, of the original model. I think the problem is the a Metcalf's law model. I don't get too deep in the in the weeds here, but the Metcalf's law model has this parabolic shape to it, right? And it just makes sense, right? It's the law of small number. So when you're a small number and you grow, you can grow really fast. And then as you get bigger, it's tougher to grow fast. So the the rate of growth slows, and that's why you get that 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 parabola that starts to to uh, smooth out at the, at the end. And the, the original work was done on these 2014 models and plan B and others kind of use this, the same work. And the problem is there's a decay factor in a Metcalf's law model. And that decay has to do with people that come into the network. Don't all stay in the network. And in the early days, the decay factor was really low because it was all new and people were coming in and, and the number was going up and people were happy. Well, as volatility continues to ebb and flow, people get spooked out of the network. So that decay factor uh, needed to be higher. And so this guy, Tim Peterson, who is at N squared crypto, uh, did this new model and, and it adjusted down that, that next step up to the million dollar price level. If you think about it, every halving, Bitcoin price is added as zero, right? So it was a dollar, first halving went to 10, second halving went to 100, third halving went to 1,000, then went to 10,000. The next halving, 2024, it'll go to 100,000. And, and they kind of got ahead of themselves by saying that was the million level. And so if you, if you scrunched down the, uh, the model, the the fit would be better um but ultimately and you guys know how i feel about this price is a liar right the price 
doesn't really matter. What matters is the growth of the network. And to be fair, in the last 12 months, the network growth of Bitcoin actually went the wrong way. It actually didn't grow as fast because of all the nonsense about the super leverage. And look, Michael Burry warned us about this in February of 2021. Yep. He said, you guys don't understand. There's too much leverage. There's bad people doing bad stuff. Bitfinex and BitMEX and, and all these people are levering up this stuff a hundred times. And that's what's making the number go up. And the more the number goes up, the more people jump in. So you remember that move from 10,000 to 60,000, it like happened in three months. And everybody's like, oh, we're going to the moon. We're going to 250. And then we crashed in the summer. Mark, and you know what's so funny about during that period of the cycle, that was actually in late 2020. So I first entered the market on the C19 crash. Got in and everybody criticized me so heavily. Luckily, it was the best. It was the most ideal time to be entering the market. And the majority of the bull run came in before 2021. What happened yeah. in 2021? The mass marketing campaign. Tesla's buying Bitcoin. Michael yep. Saylor's more bullish than ever. We got a price run. But the reality <laughs> is the people who made the most money in this market were here before the C19 or just after the C19 crisis. So 100%. And that, that's really important because if you were buying it then, you were the best type of market participant. You were an investor. Remember, we've talked about this. Four types of market participants. Investors, people who buy stuff below their fair value. Traders that don't give a shit about fair value. They just want to scalp by really hard to do. Some people are good at it. Not me, but some people are good at it. Not very many, actually. Very, very small. Um, then there are speculators. And speculators are just the opposite side of a hedger, right? A miner mines some Bitcoin, needs to pay his electricity bill, so he has to sell some. He sells it in the futures market. And who takes the other side? A speculator. Not necessarily good or bad or evil, just speculate. The problem is the gamblers. The gamblers are the people who buy something with no knowledge of whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, just because the number's going up. And then they buy it with leverage. And that's where you get these parabolic spikes. And so we had the parabolic spike in February of 21. Then we had the crash through the summer. And then we had like you said, this mass marketing, oh, you know, look at the stock to flow model, look at all this stuff. And everybody, and Max, Max, and I love Max and I love Stacy, but they were out there saying, no, we're going to 200,000. We're going to, and, and woo, woo, woo. And so we got all the way back to 69,000 in, in uh, November. Well, then, then the bad guys, this is, this is when it changed. So we went from, and we've talked about this too, right? 2009 to 15, first they ignore you. Bunch of nerds, geeks, playing with your magic internet money, whatever, go away. We ignore you. Then from 16 to 21, then they laugh at you. Ah, God, these people are such idiots. I mean, seriously, playing with magic internet money? Well, 2022, and it really wasn't 2020. It was November 6th, 2021. That was the beginning of the then they fight you phase. And what happened is it was no longer ha-ha funny. It was now tens of billions of dollars leaving traditional banks, converting into stable coins and, and Bitcoin, depositing in lenders like Celsius, like BlockFi, like you know Voyager. And the banks were like, what the fuck? No, no. You know, a few hundred K, no big deal. A few million. 
billions? No, that's our money. That's not your money. That's our money. And so what happened is, I probably shouldn't say this since I, I'm actually talking to the SEC now. Um, it's my annual audit time. Um, so I won't say anything negative about them, but let's just say, yeah, don't get in trouble. They made a decision. They made a decision. And, and, and point of fact, under Jay Clayton, I was an admirer of the SEC. They were measured, they were prudent, and most of all, they were consistent. Over and over, they said Bitcoin, not a security, Ethereum, not a security, other stuff, we're not sure yet, but we need to do the work. And that was the right way to do it. That was the right. And, and on the stuff that was clearly a security and clearly a scam, they punished. And so that was all consistent. But in November of 2021, something changed. Or what changed? Well, a couple of things changed. So one, you had enforcement going after these, in many cases, legitimate. You know, BlockFi was a legitimate company. Now, Celsius and Voyager... They were legitimate companies with an illegitimate part. The captive token makes it a Ponzi, right? And whether that was Luna and Terra, although I, you know, I always laugh about that. Luna comes to Terra and it was in something called Anchor. I mean, you couldn't make that up if you tried. <laughs> exactly. right? so, so Celsius with the cell token, Voyager with the VGX token, bad, right? You can't use an illiquid token to to secure real assets it's just a bad plan that's what happened with ftt we'll talk about that later so but blockfi didn't have that and so there's this whole pushback against oh well you know these are evil and and centralized exchanges are evil why why do you leave your money and i actually pushed somebody i went, went in a twitter space and i love that he called me a centralist apps because I've told you this before. I, I go at night, I'll go to a, a, a Bitcoin space and they like, get out of here, you shit coiner. I'm like, what are you talking about? I own more Bitcoin than you. And they're like, yeah. but you own Ethereum and you own Solana. You're a shit coiner. I'm like, stop, okay, with the tribalism. And then I'll go to an Ethereum site and they're like, get out of here, you Bitcoin maxi. I'm like, I own more <laughs> Ethereum than you. And I, I don't mean that in a brag way. I just, it's just a fact. And I'm, I am a centralist and I believe in the technology and I believe in the future, but the, the nonsense and the tribalism needs to go. But this tribalism against this idea that I should be able to take my fiat money, opt out of the fiat system, convert it into Bitcoin or stablecoin, deposit it with an institution that I trust and get paid interest on that. That is actually a good part of a functioning society. We need that. And people say, no, no, not your keys, not your coins. It needs to be on a ledger. And look, I own a piece of ledger. I'm going to own a bigger piece of ledger. I'm happy that they had their greatest sales month ever in history as people were taking money off exchange. But to piss on exchanges is wrong because if we don't have them, how do we sell our stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's one of the problems that we have in the market today. There is no true decentralized exchange that we can go to. And there are some unique protocols like Zoom Wallet. Obviously, I, I follow XRP every single day. That's one of the protocols that I like to use. But I want to switch gears here a little bit. That way we have time to get into everything that we have planned, whether it's FTX or Bitcoin. The first thing I want to address is your thoughts on this video of Jamie Dimon 
the CEO <laughs> of JP Morgan, who's got a plethora of cryptocurrency patents and blockchain technology behind the scenes. Well, yesterday he was criticizing all cryptocurrencies. So we're going to let the short clip play and go back to Mark. Here we go. Crypto is a complete sideshow, okay? And you guys spend too much time on it. And I've made my views perfectly clear about crypto tokens are like pet rocks. And, right. and, and, and people hyping this stuff up. The other thing the American public should look at when you look at crypto, if you look at all the buying and selling, so Bitcoin's worth like under a trillion dollars today, and we're not even sure that's a real market, by the way. There's 20 to 30 billion of ransomware a year that we know about, 20 to 30 billion of exchange costs that we know about, lots of AML, anti-terrorism financing, tax avoidance. Uh, so, Mark, is this 2016 or 2022? You could not tell if you're watching this clip. Look, I mean, you know, FUD. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. That's that's the business he's in. And who FUDs the hardest? Those with the most to lose, right? So a couple things. One, you can judge the quality of an idea by the quality of its detractors. Jamie Dimon is a successful, smart man. Just is, right? You, might, you may not like him. You, know, you, know, you know, may not agree with him, but he's a really successful, smart guy. So the fact that he hates us is awesome. That means the idea is really, really good. Because if if unsuccessful people hate us, who cares? I mean, that doesn't mean anything. But when when the, when the successful people of the world are scared, and he's scared, right? What, what he's speaking to is fear. And that's fear of loss of control. And, and look, I've talked about this forever. And I used to use the word cabal before someone told me that that was offensive to a certain class of people. So I won't, I won't use that word anymore. Um, but the banking cartel, which I, I'm probably going to piss off other people, but the banking cartel, which has existed for 800 years, all right, is losing their grip. And, and, it's, and it's inevitable because the technology is here and it's not going back in the bottle. You know, we are going to exchange value on blockchains, full stop. We are not going to use databases written in COBOL like we are today in Visa, and we're not going to use you know, personal computers network like they are at JP Morgan, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, we're not going to use the cloud. We're going to use blockchains. And, and that means we're placing trust with truth. We only reason we have banks is for trust. I mean, I, I think I told you this, uh, the story. Else. Like if I went to lend Johnny money back in the olden days, right? I lent him money. I gave him a hundred bucks. And he came back to pay me back 110 with interest. And I said, no, no, Johnny, you owe me 220. It says right here in my ledger. I said, what the hell are you talking about? Well, there's only one ledger and it was mine and I changed it. You got to trust me. So the Medici's, benevolent as they are, said, we'll fix that. Johnny, you keep a ledger. Mark, you keep a ledger. And we, the benevolent Medici's, for a small fee, will decide that you both wrote down the right amount. Hmm. But he wrote down 100. I wrote down 200. I paid off the Medici's a little bit and you owe me 200 bucks. <laughs> Trust is a problem. So now instead of having banks, which we know, here's the thing. We know with certainty that the banks aren't trustworthy because they've paid hundreds of billions. So let that number sink in hundreds, plural of billions with a B in fines for money laundering, terrorism, all the things that Jamie was trying to put on crypto, right? They've paid almost half of the whole market cap of crypto in fines. 
which means they made orders of magnitude more. Like like last year, <laughs> JP Morgan got fined almost a billion dollars for spoofing the price of gold. Okay. Now they said, well, we made 20 bill. It's <laughs> 5%. It's like cost of doing business. Uh, yeah. you know, find me all you want. Oh, and the point I was making earlier on, on this, this, you know, why does JP Morgan hate it? Right? It's because it, it, meaning crypto and, and blockchain technology and digital assets, has the potential to displace them because it's a better system. And ultimately, that's why Jamie's going to FUD so hard. And all the while, he's working on it behind the scenes. But see, Jamie wants a dystopian future, not a utopian future that's decentralized and we have control and self-sovereign. What he wants is the dystopian future with the JP Morgan coin that is the central bank you know, digital currency. He'd like it to be JPM coin, but you know, let, let's say it's the Fed dollar or whatever. But what they want is programmable money so that they can determine how we spend it, when we spend it, if we spend it. Imagine this crazy freaking world, right? You get paid on Friday, you drunk text about the president, you wake up on Saturday, your money's worth 70 cents on the dollar. Yeah. Okay. Or worse, how about, you know, Walmart pays off the government so that your money doesn't work at Target. It only works at Walmart. Mm. Hey, don't not imagine that's actually happening right now in Asia, in China. They already yeah. got a social credit score. You wake up, yeah. you say something wrong. <laughs> you, where's your money? That's yeah. the problem, Mark. That's all. Well, Nigeria, Nigeria just limited withdrawals to forty-five dollars from an ATM because they want wow. you to use the CBDC. So, yeah. look, the I I get it, right? I, I get why he talks about it the way he does, but at the end of the day. Um, this is inevitable. There's no tech in fintech, right? We spent 20 years trying to, to make the banks better. And all we did is add a nice UI UX to banking stuff so we can do it on an app, right? Don't get a mortgage from a bank. You get it from an app. You don't make a lend a loan to somebody. You do it on an app. That's not, that's not new technology, right? There's a great thing I was going to tweet out earlier today. You know, money's been around a long time. And, you know, credit cards have been around 70 plus years. Fedwire has been around 70 plus years. That's that's ancient technology. And it needs to be replaced. And that's what what the blockchains are. And, and it, you know, is it possible that the Bitcoin blockchain is the future rail of all commerce and money? Yeah, it's possible. Is it possible that it's, there's multiple rails? Possible. You know, that's what Ripple's working on. And trying. There's a lot of people working on a lot of stuff. But it's it's all about the better technology and building better solutions. Thank you, Mark. And I found this tweet very interesting. I think it only builds on the point that you just made. Last week, the IRS stated that Americans must report payments on Venmo and PayPal of over $600. At the same time, last week, the Defense Department failed its fifth audit, unable to account for more than 61% of its assets worth about $1.8 trillion. And you made some fantastic points, but the biggest one that stands out to me is that if all this information was on a blockchain, you wouldn't be able to claim it was lost when it's really in some of these government officials' bank accounts. Well, and, got- and you know you know the uh, story that the, you know, the missile that hit the Pentagon wasn't an airplane. The missile that hit the airplane. I mean, it hit the Pentagon. Um, you know what it hit? It actually hit the office that was investigating the absence of a trillion dollars. 
that had vanished in some airplane transfers over to the Middle East. So, look, the inability to account for for money. And, you know, why do they care about a $600 transfer in Venmo? They don't, right? What they care about is surveillance and control. Why do they care if you have a respiratory virus called the common cold? Well, they don't. They just want you to subject yourself to, you know, surveillance and control. And the more we're willing to do it without revolution, the more they're going to take. And I tweeted this this morning. If you're not terrified, absolutely terrified every morning by what's going on and the taking away of, of civil liberties, then you're just not paying attention. I mean, we should be terrified, absolutely terrified. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. And I wanted to get a point from Johnny there. Johnny, one of the things that we covered all the time on this channel, the CBDC development happening overseas. And that's what Mark just hinted at today. JP Morgan and many of these other central banks want the exact same qualifications that a central bank digital currency has, but further private institutions, which believe it or not, I think could be even more dangerous. And Mark just laid out why. I'd love to get some thoughts from you while I pull up our next article in the background. You know, it's a slippery slope. We've been saying on the show all the time, they're going to come on. They're going to tell us crypto is bad. And CBDC is good for exactly the reasons what Mark just said. It's at the end of the day, crypto really represents freedom. It's freedom. Right. You know, we have the ability to now work outside of a system that was created for control. They ain't going to let it happen. They aren't yeah. going to. I'm just going to well, be surprised. Come on. That's, that is exactly why, and we'll get there. That, that is exactly why FTX was created. It's why FTX was incinerated. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with some multi-billion dollar trading firm. I've said this and I'll keep saying it. If anyone believes that Caroline and Sam Bankman-Fried were the masterminds of anything, let alone a, a, a 20 plus billion dollar trading firm and the second largest exchange in the world, bullshit. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Absolutely not. But but the one point I was going to make, and I'll link it back to all the questions, then you can go to the next thing, apps. So gold, money, Bitcoin, digital gold, I believe central banks will ultimately own Bitcoin the same way they own yen or euro or renminbi. Okay, first. Second, I do think that the reason the, the peak of the market was November 6, 2021, was because JP Morgan and BlackRock, Larry Fink, who we're going to talk about, Larry, okay, got the SEC not to approve a spot Bitcoin ETF. Why? Because by producing a futures ETF, which created a billion dollars of demand for Bitcoin futures, it created the equivalent amount of opportunity for the banks to go short futures and punish the price of Bitcoin which is how you spoof gold, right? The reason they allowed GLD to exist is so JP Morgan could go short gold and push the price down because if gold goes up, it lets people know that their wealth is being stolen Mm because gold is the ultimate arbiter of true inflation. It's the store of value. And so Bitcoin had to be punished through spoofing. And that's exactly what's happened. And so it all ties together in this FTX was created by this same group of people to take down the image of crypto and freedom and make us say, oh, well, the government's going to save me again. So they're going to give me this digital currency. Run away. Run far away. 
they're going to bring in the answer. Problem, reaction, solution, right, Mark? And so, yeah, which is, which is funny because on the on the <clears throat> micro, it's exactly what FTX was doing, right? That's the whole thing where they were taking certain crypto assets and they were creating futures and they were shorting it and they were crushing them, whether it was um, ICP, Newcoin. I mean, the list goes on and on. You wonder where they got the playbook from. That's exactly where they got it from. That's exactly what they were doing. Mark, and I'd Again. love to show you this video next since we're yeah. staying focused on Bitcoin. I don't want to skip this video. So we had a really interesting clip come out from 2018. This is Gary Gensler teaching a course at MIT. And of the 21 episodes they uploaded to their website, this was the one episode, episode 18, that they actually removed from their platform. And we believe this could be the reason why. So this is about an eight-second clip. I'm going to play it twice, and then we'll go right back to you. Nobody actually knows who Satoshi Nakama, well, maybe, maybe my former colleague at Goldman Sachs knows. Nobody actually knows who Satoshi Nakama, well, maybe, maybe. Uh, my former colleague at Goldman Sachs knows. Mark, the reason I think this is so important is because right now Satoshi's wallet has over 800,000 Bitcoin within it. And in the interview that Michael Saylor did with Patrick Bet David just yesterday, he stated he doesn't care who Satoshi is because he's out of the picture. He'd actually prefer not to know. So as somebody who's you know a very, very informed investor, not only is it important to figure out who Satoshi is, so who do you believe Satoshi is, first of all, if you're able to share with us? And number two, is it important to figure this out or is it just another detail, another headline that will come and go? So three points. So one, um, my personal belief, okay, uh, is that Satoshi isn't a single person. It was right. four people, one of which was Hal Finney, uh, God rest his soul. Um, and uh, I think actually the second, there isn't a, 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 one of, there's, there's, Discussions on who the other three are, I probably lean toward one of the uh, other three being another guy who unfortunately passed away. And that's why it was a multi-sig wallet. And if you pass, that's, it's, it's never going to move. So that's what I, I actually believe that. Now, I could be totally wrong because what I, what I fear, what I actually fear is that uh, if you Google the term Satoshi Nakamoto, what you get is Intelligence Central. Mm. The name Nakamoto is the surname of people from the central provinces of, of Japan. And Satoshi means intelligence. Intelligence Central is pretty close to central intelligence. CIA. And so um, the fear I have is that this was entirely created by NSA, CIA to do an interesting thing. If you believed that your currency was destined to become toilet paper because you have yeah. so much debt and you could convince people to convert what they had left of that currency into this other thing, and then you stole it through a back door, you might be able to replenish the coffers while impoverishing all those people and making them dependent on you, which, you know, side benefit. So, the third point, so our one of our venture partners is a guy named Scott Stornetta. Um, Scott Stornetta is one of the co-founders of blockchain technology. Like if you if you look at the white paper and you go to the back and read the footnotes, which no one ever does, he's cited three times in the white paper. And so everyone always says, well, if you're in the white paper, you know, you must have known Satoshi. And so who's Satoshi? And Scott starts speaking fluent Japanese. And basically what he says is I, I might know who Satoshi is, but if I did, do you think I'd really tell you 
And since you don't understand what I'm saying, you really have no idea whether I'm going to tell you or not. But um, so, but he made me feel a little better. So I, I ran this, this theory by him. And he said, huh, who's ever asked me that question before? No. I'm like, okay, that was definitive. And, and you're like way, way smarter than me. And he said, no. The reason is there can't be a backdoor the way we think about backdoors in traditional software because there is, and he struggled for a word, he says, there's an air gap, not physical air, but there's an air gap in the way the consensus mechanism works and, and the recording mechanism works. So there is no way there could be a backdoor. It's like, hmm, okay, that makes me feel a little better. Um, so that's, so I don't know. Um, and you know, I have a belief, I have a fear, and, and I have a corroborator who, who actually might know. Mark, what's really interesting is we're going to dive into the FTX collapse now because I wouldn't want to let this video slip by without getting your opinion. We're only going to play about 10 seconds of this clip. When you talk about pawns, and I, this clip is a manifestation of that claim. So let's let that play and we'll go right back to you. To do everything. Yes, I yes or no. Do you, do you believe you deserve to be punished? He didn't lose audio. He's just not talking. I think about it in terms of having a duty to do what's right and, and a duty to do everything you that it can. The, do you and that's just telling in and of itself, Mark. When you talk about somebody who was able to manage a multi-multi-billion dollar corporation and was supposedly meeting with people like Jerome Powell and, Drew, and Gary Gensler and many of the other prominent elected and unelected officials, convincing them that they should take donations from him, it's unbelievable. You know much more than I, so I'd love to give you the floor. What do you think about the FTX collapse overall and specifically the way they're using Sam Bankman-Fried during this collapse? Uh, look, I, I've tweeted about this. I've spoken about it. Someone warned me I better worry about the black hats showing up. Um, look, I, 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 I've said it. I will continue to say it. I believe it. Um, Sam and, and Caroline are useful idiots, Right. They are Manchurian candidates, sans the chip. They might, they might be chipped, I don't know. But um, they, they didn't dream this up. Uh, they weren't operating anything. This is a very elaborate, very uh, contrived, and very well-planned psyop to destroy credibility in, in our space. And uh, I believe you know, the link. And here's the thing in the old days, right? I, I tell Johnny, Johnny, I'm going to meet you at the park. And, and we meet, and we sit on a bench and I walk away and, and Johnny says, Mark, you left your backpack. And I just keep walking. And he, he looks inside. He's like, Oh shit, that's full of cash. Okay. No way to track that. No way to catch me paying Johnny for, you know, all the illicit stuff that, that I had him do. And, you know, but here's the thing. They didn't use bags of cash. They used the blockchain. Yep. Government sent money to Ukraine. Freaking guys, the, the time person of the year, my mind, my head wants to explode. Ukraine sends money to FTX. FTX sends money to Alameda. Alameda sends money to SBF's shell companies. Shell companies make contributions to political candidates. Are you fucking kidding me? Mystery solved. Are you solved. fucking kidding me? 
I mean, follow the money. That's not like a conspiracy. Oh, that's a conspiracy. I'm like, no, a conspiracy is only a conspiracy if it isn't true. When there's no proof. <laughs> this is on chain. I mean, it's incontrovertible that money went from Ukraine to FTX. That's incontrovertible. It's incontrovertible that money went from FTX to Alameda. Incontrovertible. It is incontrovertible that half of the companies that FTX invested in are single shell companies owned only by SPF. Incontrovertible, right? And so it's not conspiracy, it's fact. And now, are there parts of my thesis that are high, high conjecture? Of course. But I, mean, I can't prove that uh, other people, you know, were involved. I can't show, you know, who actually made the transfers. Um, but here's here's another thing that, that's weird. It's weird. So there was this guy, Robert Maxwell. Robert, really rich guy, disappeared. Tragic boating accident, I think. And um, his money ended up with this guy that you might have heard of this guy. Jeffrey something, Jeffrey, something. anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so then he ends up in jail and, you know, meets an un untoward end. There are, again, rumors, and I, this is the part I, I can't substantiate, but there are rumors that said that that money ended up at FTX. I'm like, really? When? When? Well, kind of around the same time that FTX got started. It's kind of interesting, right? Yep. Timing. Um, so, so we look into that. Well, now it blows up and Sam's in trouble. And who's his lawyer? Maxwell's lawyer? Same Maxwell that was on trial for this whole big shenanigans that everyone is accusing all these people of that this guy disappeared uh, call me crazy but that that seems like an odd coincidence um so anyway so there's there's i think there's a couple things i want and and maybe someone on the show can 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 give it to me i want someone to send me a video of sam bankman fried looking intelligent Right. I never met the guy. You know, we passed on the deal three times, not because I knew anything, but because the numbers never added up. The valuations were stupid. You know, the first round at eight billion on, on like 40 million of revenue. I'm like, no, I would never do that. So Mark, just a little detail too. Elon Musk said that Sam Bankman Fried set off his BS meter when he met and he said he had three billion dollars of liquid cash ready to invest in Twitter. And Elon said, Absolutely not. We're going to pass on that liquidity. So yep. interesting. Yep. No, no. And, and look, I mean, uh, only in the last couple months when this thing started to break after the summer, did I start want caring about who this guy was, you know, because I had the relationship with BlockFi. And I have yet to see any evidence that this guy is intelligent. I mean, the, the, the video he did with Voorhees, the debate, I mean, frightening. I mean, his right arm is going so fast and he's, 
he can't even get sentences out. And like, no, this guy went to MIT. I'm like, well, but why did he go to MIT? His parents, you know, pretty highly connected. His mom runs basically, I hate to say it, but a money laundering facility for, you know, democratic politicians. So she specializes in compliance. Can't, you know, they, it, it allows people to get around campaign finance laws. And so maybe it's legal. Maybe I don't know. But but she runs that. Um, dad went to Yale Law School with a bunch of famous people. So, you know, maybe there's some connections there. The fact that the girlfriend's dad was Gensler's boss at MIT. OK, that's odd. Um, it's weird. So and look, I've only seen one video of Caroline where she was being interviewed by those two guys. Zero chance this woman <laughs> was in charge of trading. Zero, none, zero. Absolute zero chance she was in charge of anything. So I, I, the way I understand this went down is uh, you had a bunch of, of dark money funds this company. The company uh, then rises to prominence by locating in the Bahamas why the Bahamas? Well, there's a company in the Bahamas called Deltec Bank. If you go back into the 80s and 90s and research Deltec Bank, you'll find some shady stuff related to some really bad stuff, um, like seriously bad stuff. Um, now, they're also related to Tether, which we haven't even talked about. Um, but Deltec, bad people doing bad stuff. Okay. So Bahamas, Deltec, okay, bad stuff. Um, so then that's weird. So then we have the evidence of the money coming from Ukraine and then going back into Sam's, you know, shell companies. Well, here's the problem. This all goes back to my birthday of all days, May 9th, uh, last year when Luna collapses. Well, that caused Alameda to be underwater, right? They made a big speculation on this. Maybe we're even part of the, the scam. Um, since it hadn't been a scam yet that he hadn't been related to. But uh, so they, they have this problem. And so what do they do? They go, they have a bunch of loans that they owe people. Well, now they don't have any assets to pay the loans. So what do you do? I'll just buy the lender. And then I want to pay myself back. So he goes to Celsius and says, I'm going to buy you. And then they actually look. And here's the weird thing. And this, this is total speculation. And I would love Otteru to actually come out and say who they are. But here's my thesis. So Otteru releases confidential information, first on Celsius, then on Voyager, then on BlockFi, then on Nexo, then on Ledin, in order. Stuff that only someone who'd been in the data rooms could have. So I want to know where he got it, unless he was somehow connected to FTX and or somebody else. But they basically crush Celsius. Sam Walsh is in, says, I'm going to rescue it. And then they look a little closer and like, oh, shit. This cell token thing has created a billion eight. Oh, I don't, I don't have a billion eight. Okay, you're going to die. You're just going to die. We'll go take over Voyager. So they go to Voyager and they rescue Voyager. So then 
things are things are okay, and and then three arrows capital happens. Shit, we had money in that too. Okay, now we're even further underwater. So now we got to go get BlockFi. So they go quote unquote buy BlockFi. Well, it turns out they owed BlockFi seven hundred million dollars. So no one ever asked, well, do you actually have money? And now we find out that they have $900 million with 10 billion of liabilities. So they actually never had money. So I will argue, I will, I will claim that this all started with an illegal scheme that started to unwind because of, you know, Doquan collapsing. And so then he just scrambled to try to hold it together because it's really important to hold together because it's the greatest money laundering operation for government. And you know, I used to I used to cringe. I used to cringe when when the government types would say, you know, crypto is only for money laundering. Like, no, it is not. The thing for money laundering is U.S. dollars, $100 bills. Mark, I think you just answered a lot of the questions that people have when it comes to why the government has been so, I guess, nice would be the word to Sam Bankman-Fried. When you saw the Good Morning America interview or he did another one in a public setting, they were applauding him for showing up, saying, thank you so much for speaking us today. You don't have to be here. We respect you so much. It's unbelievable the campaign that's going on right now to make him look a certain way. But Gonzo, I know you had a quick comment, so I'm going to give you the floor. The floor is yours, my friend. Uh, it was just going to be um, if, you know, there's a big debate on whether SBF is actually going to go to jail. Um, and, you know, your thoughts on that, Mark, if you thought he was going to go to jail, because I no. know you can't talk about BlockFi and, you know, those specifics. But isn't that where the fraud is, where he got these loans from these other entities and showed certain collateral that never really existed? Isn't that like the fraud right there? You don't think that's going to be oh, I mean, it's, jail? Well, it's absolutely fraud, Gonzo. I mean, yeah. there's, there's no question there's fraud. But because it's Bahamian, there's no U.S. jurisdiction, so he didn't break any U.S. law. Now, I will argue he broke a whole bunch of laws because there's, you know, international transfers. And now, here's the thing: if Sam is indeed the useful idiot, the Manchurian candidate that I believe that he is, the people behind the scenes actually are really smart, right? They've been doing this mm. for centuries. This, this money laundering so and, and financing of, of bad stuff. But so my guess is they may not have crossed any of the actual laws that because, you know, they, they registered in the right places. You know, FTX, U.S. is bankruptcy remote. I mean, they, so they, they may have done all the things to, to keep him out of trouble. So but even if he were to be charged, I believe zero chance he, he does jail because he, like Jeffrey, has too much on too many people, right? I mean, look at the people that they donated to. Warren, Waters, I mean, all of the top politicians took money directly from this guy. He was the largest donor to Biden's election campaign. He claimed he was going to give a billion dollars in the next election. Think about that. He claimed he was going to pay a billion dollars to political candidates, which he didn't have. Um, so I don't think, and look, I shouldn't say this out loud because it sounds like I'm wishing ill. I don't wish ill on anybody. 
I really don't. I mean, I'm, I'm pissed at the guy. He cost me personally a lot of money, cost my clients a lot of money, he's cost people on this call a lot of money. So I, I really don't like the person, yeah. but I really hate the people behind him because I don't, I think he's the useful idiot. Um, but I don't wish him ill, but I do think there's a better than 50, 50 chance plane carrying SBF and Caroline goes down in Amazonia. Nobody's recovered. Wow. Wow. Really? I, I, what, what, I, what, what, I, why, the I'm reason that's happen. And, and again, I'm no, just, no, 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 I didn't mean to I'm make it sound it's like a that. Zero probability. I was just saying, I'm surprised you believe that to be the case because if they are pawns, I'm wondering if it's like, they, they've coordinated the collapse as well. They know that suppose this plane may go down, but it may, you know, they may end up in Argentina. Like a lot of people did after world war II, for example. Oh no, I think that's exactly where they end up, but the plane is never recovered. Right. right. Yep. And so look, I, this is all conjecture and it's all, you know, interesting, but, but at the end of the day, there's too many things that make sense from the standpoint of, you know, we can follow the money. It's, it's on chain. We can, we can see, look, <clears throat> SPF was crafting with politicians legislation to basically make DeFi illegal. I mean, not, not quite that extreme, but pretty close and basically make FTX the only where only place you could go. I don't know. Call me crazy, but that that seems odd. And I said, I just don't think you can have that many coincidences. And, and look, you can get me started. If if you go back to world history, there is very clear evidence that a very small number of very wealthy families pretty much control everything. And, you know, central banking is at the root of it, right? The Rothschilds created the first central bank in 1607 in the Netherlands. You know, you know what we call the dollar a dollar, right? It's because it was called the Reichsdollar in Holland. Holland. That's why it's called a dollar. So, you know, we, we've been complicit with those families forever. And, that's 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 not good, bad, or indifferent. It's just just facts. And you know, half the clan went to the UK and set up the Bank of England. And shockingly, we used the same model in 1913 when you know Amory Aldrich, who was the most powerful senator in the country. And you know, people should look at the book written in 1910 criticizing the Aldrich plan. And what's really wild about it? There's this picture. And I tweeted out earlier today. Actually, I can show you guys. Um, there's this picture from that book that that I always love because I don't know if you guys watch Stranger Things, but so this is the picture, right? This is from 1910, and it basically oh you got it awesome, and and it basically shows tentacles reaching into everybody's pockets, okay. And coughing, yeah, Titanic, exactly, exactly. Guess who was on the Titanic? People that opposed the Aldrich plan, by yep. the way. Um, and coughing up the money into to central government and the banks. And so if you go and watch Stranger Things, the mind flare looks just like this thing. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of freaky. 
And so, and if you look at, at the Hawkins National Lab, it looks just like the Eccles building. I mean, it's just, it freaks me out a little bit. So yeah. life imitating art. Part of the rules is they have to show you what they're doing, right? That is part of the rules. But Mark, one of the things that everybody's talking about right now is that Tether is an impending time bomb. And I know Johnny Crypto had a question prepared, but I just want to set up a little backdrop because the Fed actually commented on this. And they said one of the reasons that Tether could be in trouble is because they're piggybacking off the success of the U.S. dollar, which I thought was an interesting narrative to come out. But Johnny Crypto, I'd love to give you the floor and then we'll kick it to Mark. Well, you know, Mark, there's a lot of talk about Tether. We know Tether's, you know, part of the foundation of the crypto uh, markets right now and there's a lot of discussions around their reserves why aren't they showing the reserves and, and more importantly if tether collapses what does that mean for the crypto market that's one of the biggest questions you know we get asked all the time and what our audience is looking for so we'd love your thoughts on what you think you know if for example you know for we know here that almeida went down and that was a 36 billion dollar impact tether is about a 65 billion dollar impact so what's your thoughts on a do you think tether again that's just your thoughts on whether tether yeah. pops up but more importantly what would be the impact to the is crypto dead at that point does it have a chance uh, to survive it's, it's certainly what's not dead it's it's a great question it's certainly not dead because i mean you know think about it. we're talking you know seven percent eight percent of of total asset base um so it's it's not that it's not important uh, and look, a lot of the trading volume around the world occurs in tether pairs, right? You know, Bitcoin tether or other things tether. Um, exactly. But but at the end of the day, currencies never trade independent of one another, right? We don't trade dollars and dollars. We trade them in yen or euros or renminbi. We don't trade Bitcoin and Bitcoin, right? One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, but we don't trade Bitcoin and Bitcoin. We trade Bitcoin in dollars or yen or euros or lira or tether. And so uh, stable coins, really important. They need to be backed. Um, is is USDC fully backed? Yeah, I think it probably is. is you know, are some of the others fully backed? Yeah, probably pretty close. Is tether fully backed? Probably not. But But is it zero backed? No. Right. And so that's the thing. Is is it going to go to zero? No. Could it could they could they say, uh, you know what? Sixty five billion. We only got 50. That's certainly possible. People get a percentage on their money. Um, but ultimately, the reason, again, I think Tether exists is, again, look at Signature Bank, Dell Tech Bank, Silvergate Bank. It's all about money laundering. And the Bahamas are. And, and, and like, this is, this is way, this is way above my pay grade. And, you know, there's the movie Michael Moore did. I'm not a big Michael Moore fan, but there's this movie that he did, uh, Roger and me. And there's like an eight minute clip in that movie that talks about the history of the CIA and all the ops that we set up in order to topple, right? All the dictators we set up in order to topple. And why do we do that? Because fear creates consumption. And if you went from a manufacturing economy to a consumer economy, you need people to be afraid all the time. So they sit in their house and buy stuff. And that's, again, big. And it's been going on forever. And so it's probably not going to stop. And so do I think if you took down Deltec Bank, does Tether go? Of course. 
if you, you know, if you investigate, but these are Bahamian companies and they're outside of jurisdictions and the Bahamians certainly aren't going to do anything about it because they like the tax revenue. So it's a long-winded way of saying, I think Tether is a real risk. The, 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 the emotional damage would be big. It, mm. you know, the, the regulators would be all over it saying, see, this proves this is bad and you need to take our CBDC. Exactly. Over my dead freaking body. Yeah. Really. I, mean, I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not in this for that. I, I don't want to move. I don't want to live somewhere else. Right. You know, like Chapel Hill. I'm, I'm perfectly happy spending in dollars if I have to, but I, I'm not, I don't really want to use a central bank digital currency. And I don't want, I don't want to have to show my freaking passport to get in a restaurant and get on a train. That's not what life is about. And <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a very dystopian, very frightening future. And and anyway, we don't have time to go into the whole thing, but look, it, it all goes back. It's not a coincidence that WEF was incorporated on the same month or day, or I don't even, I don't think it was the day, but on the same month as we went off the gold standard. This is not a coincidence, right? Exactly. And exactly. it's not a coincidence that Andrew Ross Sorkin is a WEF young leader. I mean, it's just not a coincidence, right? Why did they choose him to interview SBF instead of someone who actually would ask him hard questions? And, and Andrew asked him a couple hard questions. He didn't press him on it. And they gave him, you know, an ovation. Are you freaking kidding me? Give the guy handcuffs. <laughs> it's unbelievable, Mark. But one of the things you brought up is that the World Economic Forum plays a pivotal role in shaping our future, or at least that's their intention. And one of the things that they've been working, one of the companies they've been working with in our industry is, of course, Ripple XRP. And because this is Good Morning Crypto, we have to reference the Ripple XRP lawsuit. And I'd love to get your thoughts behind the ongoing lawsuit we have today. And a couple of reasons we're going to break down why we think it's so important. So their lead lawyer, Stuart Alderati, tweeted, as we begin hit the beginning of the end of this lawsuit, he's very proud to work with Ripple, so on and so on. One of the reasons I think this is so important is because Bank of America actually stated just one week ago, after the SEC's resolution, they plan on leveraging RippleNet for on-demand liquidity. Now, that doesn't directly mean they're going to be using XRP. They can use any asset that they choose. But when you talk about Ripple and XRP, it's almost as if they're synonymous. So I'd love to get some of your thoughts. Bank of America starts adopting Ripple for on-demand liquidity. Any bank operating in the SWIFT system is going to have to charge an additional 15%, and that's going to leave them in the dirt. So what do you think about those claims there? Bank of America possibly using Ripple after the SEC lawsuit. Look, look, Bank of America owns the largest patent portfolio for blockchain of, of anybody. Um, it's not a coincidence. And, you know, the fact that they are evaluating and, and talking to Ripple certainly is, has positive implications for, for Ripple. Uh, and and to, I think you bring up a really important point. Could, could have positive implications for XRP. Doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to. Um, right. And, you know, one of the challenges of, of Ripple and XRP, and you know, you know this, and everybody knows it, is the difference between a technology and a token. You know, technologies are here to stay, and and whether Ripple wins and gets through this, or whether they get blocked by the lawsuit or other means, don't really know because banks don't really want to give up. You know, the 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 sweetheart deal that they have. And I gave a, this is a weird, weird thing. So we had an experience where. Uh, you know, somebody got hacked 
and a, a, a wire got made to to a wrong place because a hacker you know got involved. So long story short, um, talking to the banks, and like, well, can you tell us why you approved this if it wasn't to the right person, the right bank account? And they're like, well, you know, it wasn't clear in the SWIFT note because our system's different than their system. I'm like, are you joking? You're, so you're telling me that because of computers don't talk to one another, you just let a transaction go through that was fraudulent? And they're like, yeah, that's, that's the way it is. And so we need new tech, right? We need new rails. Um, and I, I do think Ripple has a shot as, as well as some other groups to, to be part of that solution. Um, you know, it's funny, I, I got a bunch of non, no, I shouldn't say nonsense. It wasn't nonsense. I got a bunch of grief, and grief is the right word, from the Cardano crowd because uh, I said in, in thing that, you know, the, the traders love it, but, you know, developers and users, I don't see any, I go, oh, we're developers and we love it. I'm like, okay, there's seven of you. Um, <laughs> but, and, and, and actually I did some work and I, and I stand corrected. It actually has the second highest number of developers behind Ethereum. So I, I stand right. corrected and, and my apologies to the Cardano crowd. Um, I still don't see real great use cases or applications, but but at least it's being developed. Um, so again, old guys can learn. Hey, yeah. one of my listeners said he's becoming a believer, guys. I don't know if I'd go that far, but Mark, I do think it's been very interesting just to hear the different narratives. When I first entered this market, I was anti everything that did wasn't a utility token. And now my mindset is totally shifted. I think there's a plethora of projects that are going to be successful. And I just want to have a couple of horses because we know, like Johnny Crypto always says, it only takes one or two to get that generational wealth and that freedom that we're all looking for. Yeah, the, the hard part, Abs, is I, I'm old school, right? I believe that in order to profit, you have to have equity debt or a claim on cash flows. Very simple guy, right? If, if I don't get paid interest on my debt, or if I don't get a share of, of equity ownership or dividends, or if I don't get a claim on cash flows of a project, then I can't make money. And so this idea that number go up, like, you know, Doge and, and, and freaking Shibu, it just, they piss me off. There's just no there there. There's no, you don't, you don't have a claim on anything. Like, but it's no different than a stock. I'm like, no, it is. And look, but they have Elon Musk, Mark. What about Elon? I no, no, no. <laughs> Good point. If if capital I, capital F, one of my favorite sayings, capital I, capital if Elon or someone else uses Doge right. for a payment system, create a use case. Okay, that's better. But here's the problem: even then, unless there's some gas fees or some transaction fees that that the users can actually get it's it's like i like uni i like uniswap i think it's an interesting dex it didn't go down it didn't crash but the token is i thought and i was wrong i thought that the token actually got a share of cash flows well people said no you're wrong well that's a problem right if you don't share in the cash flows then it's harder for me to to ascribe value to it and the fact that it has value because everybody bought it and put real money into it, okay, but then what makes that better? I mean, I guess you could say, well, inflation. And that, that you know, I guess if you say, I put in a dollar 
and now it's worth $2 because my dollar's worth less and I price it in dollars, right? It's not, it's not doge per doge, it's doge per dollar. Okay, you could devalue the, the other currency and, and work like a store of value. So that, 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 that's fair. I still don't like it. Hey, Mark, I want to drive on a, a question on something you said that I think is so important. You talked about blockchain as the technology and then cryptocurrency as the crypto, right? And, and that has really been one of the questions that I've always had as well is, do you really need both, right? The blockchain technology, the technology stuff, no question about it. Even Jamie Dimon has said it's going to be there to stay forever. The question that you hear a lot of technologists talk about is, will the cryptocurrency part of that survivor need to be there? And I'd love your thoughts on, on what you, need, you think. No, it's 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 the question, right? And, and I, I talk question, about this all the time. Right? Right? Questions are way better than answers, right? I'm full of answers. A wise man once told us that. <laughs> and we've but, been saying but, it ever since. Questions time. are way better. And that's a great question. And here's the thing. A token that has a use can be super valuable. I'll give you an example. So we're investors in this company called Figure. Figure created something called Provenance. Provenance is a blockchain that wants to displace uh, DSTT, a DSCC, whatever, DTCC, DTCC, and DTTC. Um, I can't, I'm not, I'm, I'm spacing this morning. So DTTC. So in order to transact on the provenance blockchain, you have to buy hash token and use that as your okay. fee. You can't, you can't pay in fiat because fiat doesn't, doesn't settle T instant. You need to settle T instant. So in that case, there is a market for hash as provenance becomes more profitable and uh, processes more transactions. That's the way I thought Uni actually worked. I thought as more people did transactions on Uniswap that the Uni token got a share of those cash flows. Yeah. And if that was the case, then it'd be very valuable. Yeah, that's that would not be great. The case, seems less valuable. It's it's kind of like, um, you know, guess the XRP Ripple thing. If Ripple is the technology that's going to be used, and we use XRP as the the frictional grease, yeah, right, in, in a positive lubricant, not grease. I mean, grease implies craft and corruption. I mean, lubricant, and it becomes a transaction mechanism, and therefore as demand goes up and supply is constrained. Then the value will go up, and so that to me is makes sense. But and and a stablecoin needs a token, right? Because I'm putting in fiat, I'm converting it to a token. I need that token. But then the price isn't going to go up and down. It's just going to be stable. It's a store of value. Bitcoin price can go up because there's a fixed supply. Right. And as more people demand it, either to store value or to use, you know, the rail, then it can then it can accrete value. So I do think there are token cases that are very viable, but ultimately it comes down to, can I own something? Right. Right. I use the example all the time of I start, you know, Mark coin. I sell you guys a bunch of Mark coin. I take the money. I go build a Chuck E. Cheese and then give you the Mark tokens and you go knock yourself out, play the games. What you should have done is said, no, Mark, we want to be equal partners, 25% each and, and own the, the company. That would be a better share, a better use of the token. 
And Mark, I'd love to switch gears here just a little bit. As the title of our video was All Cryptos Are Unregistered Securities. And one of your friends, Michael Saylor, made that bold statement earlier this week. We got 418 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Mark Yusko's in the building. We're about to get to our most important topic for today. So we're going to play 20 seconds of this clip and go right back to Mark. Here we go. But here's a follow-up. They're all unregistered security. Here's a follow-up on that. I, I don't own a single Ripple, just so we know. So yeah. full disclaimer, I'm not a Ripple guy. But if if both of them are unregistered, why target Ripple and not target Ethereum the way he is targeting Ripple? And by the way, this is coming from a guy that owns uh, Ethereum, not Ripple. Yeah, I think I think the best thing for the world would be with the, if the SEC pretty much shut down all of it. It's all unethical, right? I mean, the, the Bitcoin position would be Bitcoin is an ethical commodity. All of these other altcoins are unregistered securities. They're all... Mark, I'm just going to give you the floor there. He said a lot, but one of the... Wi-Fi cut out for a second there. I hope I'm back. Am I back, guys? Yep, you're back. Perfect. One of the things that stuck out to me there is that obviously we got people in the comments saying Bitcoin maximalists. And yes, Michael Saylor is a self-proclaimed Bitcoin maximalist. He put Bitcoin in a category of its own. But the bold statement he made that really stuck out is that all of the other cryptocurrencies are unregistered securities because they have underlying companies providing most growth for the blockchain. So it's a really interesting narrative. I don't, I'm not some sort of person who's diverse to new ideas. If somebody says XRP is centralized and they convince me so, I'm more than willing to accept that. But one of the things I disagree with is he made the, the comparison of Ethereum, XRP, FTX token, and Solana. He grouped them all into one category, and I completely disagree there. I think there's several different phases, but I'd love to give you the open floor, and then we'll close out the show. Yeah, look, um, they're definitely different. And, and to your point, Abs, they're, they're absolutely different. And... Um, the blanket statement that everything other than Bitcoin is an unregistered security, I, I just don't agree with. Um, I, I think there are criteria. We have criteria of, of what constitutes a security. Now, we're using, again, 100-year-old technology based on orange groves, which is a little tough. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you did a crowd sale to people, uh, <laughs> that's kind of like a security offering. I mean, not, not gonna lie. Um, if you did an airdrop, it's a little bit different. You know, one of my one of my challenges is I, I don't like the fact that most tokens are not widely distributed. You know, again, if, 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 if I were Satoshi, back to who Satoshi is, if I were, I would have dropped it on everyone. Everyone in the world would have got some. and then people say, oh, but what? And then the mafia would have gone around and stole it from people. Yeah, that, that would have happened in some cases. And some people would have lost theirs and some people. But but we'd have a lot wider distribution and we'd have a lot more people working on it. Because if you own something, you follow it, you work on it. It's kind of like the idea of loot, right? You give people loot and then might create a video game around it. Maybe, um, not necessarily, but, but you have a better chance. Um, so I don't agree that, that everything other than Bitcoin is a security. Uh, I, I don't agree at this point that, that Ethereum is a security. Uh, I think there are other people that disagree with me, but, um, and, you know, the issue of Ripple and XRP, you know, it's harder for me to, to, to wrap my head around it in that it's so, particularly at the launch, it was so closely held 
Yeah. Like, who who did you issue the security to? Um, there weren't that many buyers. So, um, but maybe that's the whole point, right? Is if if something is super closely held and you can manipulate the price, maybe that's what they're trying to protect people from. I don't know. But I do think selecting one out of the thousands to to you know make a big spectacle of doesn't really make a lot of sense. So I've, I've always wondered about that. Um, but you probably don't consider all the thousands of them. You think of the top 10 or 15 and right. you, know, you picked one to, to make an example of. Make an so, example. But look, regulation is really tough in a decentralized environment, in a borderless world, right? In a true metaverse, who's in charge of regulation, right? Where, yeah. where what, what jurisdiction is Bitcoin really in? I mean, is it in the United States? Is it in China? Is it, I mean, does, does it matter how many nodes are in a country? Is that how we determine jurisdiction? I mean, I don't know. Um, so, and that's I, I think, another reason we need regulation, right, Mark? Pardon? That's another reason we need regulation because there's so many questions that are yet to be answered. And every time somebody is supposed to go and work with U.S. officials, they're getting prosecuted. They're walking out of their offices with a lawsuit right on their hands. So why would anybody work with them? They have no incentive. Look, regulation is critically important to the success of any industry, right? If you don't know what the rules are, you can't, you can't function. I mean, it's like kids, right? Look at the kids who get in the most trouble. They're the ones that don't have any rules um, because kids need rules, right? They need to know what the boundaries are. And if they break the rules, there should be consequences. But if you don't give them rules, they just founder. They just they don't even know how to, they don't know how to act. Same thing with, with builders. You know, if I know, I, I always use the example of tax avoidance and tax evasion. Michael actually is dealing with that too. Um, uh, you should do everything you can to avoid paying taxes everything up to the line where you go into evasion. That's bad. You go to jail for that. But, you know, we, we went this, there's a, a, there's a, in, in my world uh, if, of investing in, in university land, if you set up offshore partnerships, you can avoid something called unrelated business taxable income. And our board, you say, Oh, but you know, they're going to, they're going to reverse that. And, and that, and then we're going to like, yeah. And when they change the law, which I've been, waiting for that for 30 years, not, not exaggerating for 30 years, they've been threatening to wow. change that law. If they were to change the law, then we wouldn't do that anymore. But exactly. up until the, the fact that it's a law that says, if you do this structure, it's okay. Right. Because Cayman likes being a place that has financial services, businesses, and they lobbied really hard to get these laws. And the, the, there are the laws. Like, why does it make sense? If you live in Puerto Rico, you pay 10% federal taxes. It doesn't make any sense, but it's a law and it's not bad. It's just, they're trying to get people to move to that part of the world. And that's an incentive to do so. So it used to be U.S. Virgin Islands. And before that it was Guam. And before that it was someplace else. So um, I don't know. I, I love, I love Michael. I, I think he's great. I think he's great for, for the industry. I think he's, he's a true evangelist. He's wicked smart. I mean, he's oh, a wicked, genius. wicked smart guy. Genius. Um, but, but at the end, and he's also a great communicator, and I value that more than anything. But I, I do think right now, 
I, I just believe we need less tribalism. We need more maximalism. And what I mean by that is all of us working together to maximize, maximize the transition to the digital world. And that's so, fantastic, Mark. I, I mean, that's actually a bullet point that we should title the episode. But I did want to give Johnny Crypto just a chance to close us out here. I have a dentist appointment at 1 p.m., but I could sit here and talk to you all day, Mark. I swear. No, 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 no. no. I, it's great. I mean, we. I, it's, it's always hard to me believe we go for 90 minutes and it feels like 10 minutes. We'll have to do a three-hour episode. We'll call it a Joe Rogan special soon. Stop one day, right. Mark. Now you have the time. We're going to close this episode out the same way we always do by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Gonzo. Thank you to Johnny Crypto. And thank you to Mark Yusko himself. Mar- uh, Johnny, we got the smartest way to track your crypto and scenes. I'd love for you to keep that out and we'll close it out today. Like we always say, have Warriors- you been wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? If so, it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan. The good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen. You can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses, and totals since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly... Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com, that's MerlinCrypto.com, and sign up for early access for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched this fall. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way 